In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The renewed fight for blue votes in red parts of Georgia. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Patricia, it's been another fun week. I'm on my way to Texas for the Texas Tribune Festival. Um, I hope you get some downtime this weekend because we certainly deserve it. Craig, that is so fancy for you to be going to the Texas Tribune Festival. I'm still a little jealous about that. I'm not going to lie, but I will someday I will write a book and then I'll try and hawk myself over to Texas. Um, my weekend is going to be full of a little bit of camp, you know, some campaign events, some lacrosse baseball tournaments, uh, some birthday parties to deliver children to and some laundry. I was going to say, oh, you mentioned laundry. <laughs> you can see in my background on our dining room table, over there, there's some laundry that we still haven't folded. So, <laughs> Did you do we, that? A man's version of laundry is taking it out of the dryer and being like, I did the laundry. <laughs> I did a lot. And plopping it on the, the dining room table that we don't use. <laughs> My new laundry hack is to buy more clothes. <laughs> I just bought 20 pair of children's socks from Amazon. That's my sock hack. Yeah, they should get here today. I'm so excited. That's going to make my weekend about 100 times better. I bought a ton of new black socks because, uh, yeah, I've lost all of mine. So that's that's mine too. Continue. At any rate. At any rate. (laughs) And this is where Shane cuts it. Um, (laughs) But Patricia, one of your visits also during your busy week was up to Cleveland, Georgia. We mentioned it last episode. But let's dive deeper into why you were there for your column on how basically on how abortion and other key issues could slightly change the electorate. No Democrats there are really expecting to suddenly win these deep, deep red districts, but it could help the whole ticket. Nobody in White County, Georgia, which is where I was, nor Rabin County. There were some Rabin County Democrats over for, over there as well. Nobody in that area thinks that Democrats are going to win those counties. That is just not going to happen. It's very conservative, very Republican. Donald Trump won White County with more than 80% of the vote. So that is not going to go to 49 anytime soon. However, there is definitely the thinking that if if Democrats can move the needle slightly, not by changing people's minds, but by running candidates, running on issues that are important to them and running actual campaigns, 
they do think that they can move the needle slightly, even if it's three or four percent, that would be a huge, huge victory for them. So I was up there talking to a nurse named June Chris, who is a Democrat running for a state house seat up there. And she really caught my attention because she's running on a very unambiguous platform to reverse George's abortion restrictions. She talks a great deal about how personal abortion decisions are, how difficult it is for women, and how it really is no business of Georgia Republicans to pass those laws. Let's hear from June. You know, it seems in Georgia, Republican men want to say... um, You know, they want to be doctors and lawyers and preachers and decide when a woman can have an abortion. That's ridiculous. And here's more from June on the decision to have an abortion. It's just such a personal decision. I mean, and it should be left to the doctor, the preacher, the the parents, you know, you and your spouse, if you Mm -hmm. can't afford another child. and that's what grieves me is because I know the agony that people go through when they decide that they're going to have an abortion. So she was talking there about her many years as a nurse, and she said, listen, nurses, doctors uh, see these kinds of decisions, these kind of, these kind of agonizing situations. She talked about a young woman who had come into their ER, and uh, the young woman had been raped, and she and her parents were trying to decide, you know, what do we do right now? That It, it would have been um, too late under Georgia's new laws, but she was saying, this was a decision for her and her parents, and they were in agony. And she just, you know, the the point from her and from other Democrats, especially Democratic women, is that this is not a cut and dry issue. It's very difficult. It's very complex and complicated, but it's not for the state of Georgia to decide. You know, and Patricia, we and we've talked about this. We featured this on Politically Georgia before. Why Stacey Abrams and Senator Warnock, they're spending a lot of time in rural areas where they have no chance of capturing the county, right? But of course, as they know, hey, it's not about capturing counties. There's no electoral college in Georgia. It's about winning the state. And they feel like if they can cut the margins for Republicans in areas like White County, in areas like down in Camilla, where I was with her for a recent campaign stop, or in Noonan, where I was with Senator Warnock for a recent campaign stop, these are counties that are overwhelmingly Republican. But if they can you know, shave off a few percentage points here and there, they get a lot closer overall. And Patricia, I'm sure they're hoping that candidates like June in White County can also help drive up turnout from the bottom up. Yeah. And the change in turnout in the 2021 Senate runoffs was really the key to Democrats' victories for both uh, Senator Warnock and Senator Ossoff. It was the falloff of Republican votes, even more so than an increase in Democratic votes that was just crucial to Democrats winning. So Democrats are hoping if they can boost up their numbers, they're hoping, is it possible that some of these Republicans who are still very, very pro-Trump Are there still some Republicans who are going to stay home? Can they sort of thread that needle and see those two changing dynamics? Could that get them over the line in November? And we'll talk more about this next week. But Republicans have mostly focused on these deep red areas as well, right? Governor Kemp's most of his campaign stops have been in very friendly conservative territory far outside metro Atlanta. But that's going to begin to change in the next few days because Governor Kemp has an event with Glenn Youngkin, the Virginia governor, in Alpharetta coming up. 
And I, I expect to see Republicans try to put Democrats on the defensive in areas where they're doing very strongly, right? In metro Atlanta areas that have swung decisively towards Democrats in the last few election cycles. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I think we're going to start to see Republicans really trying to claw back some of their losses in North Fulton, in Cobb County, in Gwinnett County. The RNC has a new office in Gwinnett County. They also have an office down in College Park. They are really going into areas where Democrats have either dominated for years or where Democrats have made huge, huge gains in recent years. And Republicans, just like Democrats, are saying we are not going to leave any area of this state unmessaged. We are not going to just leave it to the Democrats to have the votes that they think that they have taken permanently. Republicans are going to go in and try and take those back. And the suburbs are a great example of that. And you alluded to this earlier, Patricia, the AJC poll that showed 5% of Georgia voters saw abortion as their top issue. And yet, you know, it's a mixed bag because a significant number, more than 40%, said that it was motivating, the abortion issue was motivating them to go out and cast a ballot in November, and another big chunk of voters, at least one fifth, said that they would go and support, you know, particularly go out and support someone who wants to preserve abortion rights. My thought is that one reason that number was a little bit lower than we expected and we've seen in other polls is because A, we had more issues that we listed in that poll than we usually do at the AJC. We usually have four or five. This time we listed, I think, eight or nine. But secondly, I think a lot of left leaning voters might have picked preserving democracy. That was very, very high up on the list. And our colleague, Mark Nisi, wrote a second story about it, just about why preserving democracy was so high on the list, you know, because voters can only choose one. But certainly that was a mixed bag. And it was an indication, look, I don't think Democrats are changing their strategy. They've always acknowledged that economy is the number one issue, but they've tried to tie economy to abortion as well. And, and, and have messaged almost ex- relentlessly also on abortion. Yeah, I'm no pollster. Let's get that on the table. Um, But the question also says, what's the number one issue facing the country? It doesn't say what's the number one issue facing you or what's Mm, the most important issue to you. And I can envision voters who abortion may not be the biggest issue in the country, in their opinion, but they're going to vote on it. And so I think that could explain part of that, that 5% number of people saying abortion is the number one issue. I'm still trying to figure that out. I don't understand that, to be honest with you. And rereading that poll question, to me, I could see how somebody would say, you know, it's not the biggest issue in the country, but they would still get to a place where that's going to determine their vote. It was also, it seemed like, poll week for other outlets, not just the AJC. We saw polls from Marist. We saw polls from Monmouth. We saw polls from CBS, YouGov. And a lot of them painted a similar picture. You know, they weren't exactly identical to the AJC poll, of course, but uh, most of them showed a very tight U.S. Senate race, and a uh, and and Governor Kemp with a with a slight lead, you know, four, five, six points. Not the maybe not the eight points the AJC poll showed him at, but but a solid lead of about five points. So we're starting to see a trend take hold. But again, there's still about two months left in this campaign. Well, more like six weeks. What are we at? Six weeks. And Stacey Abrams, you know, her theory of the case right now, at least one of the theories of the case is that the abortion issue is going to expand the electorate in ways that these polls just aren't picking up. As we've noted, most Georgia elections, women make up about 55% of the electorate. If women end up making 56, 57, 58% of the electorate, then we could have a completely changed dynamic. 
Yes. Also, these polls are not capturing the ground game. So we don't know exactly what each campaign's turnout operations look like. There's no perfect way to measure that. And there's no way to predict it. And so we know that both sides are investing heavily in their ground game. But a voter's intention to vote for someone is not the same thing as a person's vote for someone that has been cast and captured. So um, really, this is a situation where we do not know what's going to happen. We know where voters' minds are generally because we're also out talking with voters quite a bit, but we don't know what's going to happen until it happens. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. We're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt Newsletter which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And get ready, because you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. And for a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. And that's not just to the jolt. That's for all of the AJC's offerings. Politics, investigations, sports, dining, everything, including the jolt, for less than a buck. It's our best offer for the best journalism in Atlanta. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to get unlimited digital access for the next six months for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, our next segment will focus on a story that we floated, that we headlined in the jolt a few days ago, which is a potential Trump visit. Uh, We're picking up word that Donald Trump could very well come to Georgia October 15th. As we tape this podcast, we have not confirmed it yet. We do know that there have been lots of discussions going on. The campaigns have been notified of that possibility. And we also know it's a giant headache for, for Georgia Republicans. Let's start with Governor Kemp. I mean, Donald Trump came for four different rallies after he lost the November 2020 election. And Kemp was a subplot in all of them because at each of them, Donald Trump blamed Governor Kemp for his defeat. And then the last two rallies that were held last year, Donald Trump went even further. And one of them even said he would rather see Stacey Abrams as governor than Brian Kemp. Greg, we also know that if Donald Trump does come to Georgia, it is very likely that Brian Kemp will be washing his hair. He is very (laughs) unlikely to be at that rally because Donald Trump has really focused his rallies in the past on attacking Brian Kemp and calling him a loser and a disaster. 
Donald Trump recruited David Perdue to run against Brian Kemp and oust him from office. So there's very little good that can come from Brian Kemp being up on that stage. Um, he's also skipped the last four rallies, so we don't expect a change of pace there. But Republicans could use a little boost from Donald Trump to make sure that he's not out there attacking Republicans and that he is getting Republicans out to the polls. I wouldn't expect Donald Trump at this point to continue to attack Ryan Kemp because Kemp's doing very well in the polls. And we know that Donald Trump doesn't like losers. So he's uh, more than I don't expect him to attack Kemp if he comes here to Georgia. But he is definitely going to pump up his own candidates, Herschel Walker, Burt Jones, others who he has endorsed and are in a good position to win. Um, This is the time that Trump visit may or may not damage Republicans, but it looks like he's coming anyway. Yes, he might very well come anyway. It's a different calculus for Senate hopeful Herschel Walker and for Lieutenant Governor nominee Burt Jones, who are both endorsed by Trump. I don't expect Chris Carr, John King, Brad Raffensperger certainly to show up. Those, those were all the Republican incumbents who, like Kemp, were on the other side of Trump's wrath. But Walker and Burt Jones are in a different sort of category because they were, of course, endorsed by Trump. Um, they have not focused their campaigns on him like David Perdue did, for instance. Uh, way back in the primary. You know, they mentioned that they had Trump's endorsement. Certainly since they won the nomination, it has not been front and center. Uh, But they're in a trickier bind, right? It would be looked at as a snub, as an insult, if Herschel Walker didn't share the stage with Donald Trump. Uh, Same thing probably for Burt Jones in that race. So we expect the usual suspects, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Andrew Clyde, uh, some other House incumbents, some other uh, local Republican officials to show up wherever Trump goes. But it'll be really interesting to see if Herschel Walker and Burt Jones also share the stage with them. I can't imagine. I expect Herschel Walker to. I don't know about Burt Jones. We'll, we will see. Time will tell. Well, Patricia, this might be our favorite segment. And I know it's mine. The listener mailbag. Thank God we don't have. Oh, no. Nice. I like that much better. I like, I like it. that much better. I know you like the who wants to be a millionaire type uh, sounds. That one you know will what? get the dogs howling. So that, that one play I like. with that for a while. And that does not make my, uh, my eight-year-old cry, nor does it make my ears burn. Um, but you, loyal listeners, can call the Politically Georgia hotline anytime, really, right now. Leave a question and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Nine seven and producer Shaney B has a loyal group of interns that are working night and day on this. And Shaney B, what do we have this week? Let's start off with a voter in Dunwoody. I'd like somebody to address Walker's response to Senator Graham's proposal to federally prohibit abortion when he stated that he would be in favor of a state's rights choice but would also vote in favor of a federal position. I'm not sure how those two positions can be aligned with each other. Well, voter, that is a great question and one that we sort of explored in the AJC a few days ago when, when after this proposal came out, because here was Herschel Walker's exact statement. Here, I'm quoting here. I am a proud pro-life Christian, and I will always stand up for our unborn children. I believe the issue should be decided at the state level, but I would support this policy. So yeah, as the voter acknowledged, this is a a weird or an interesting stance here saying it should be a state issue, but he would support 
a federal policy. And, and Patricia, this kind of aligns with Herschel Walker's stance on abortion since even before he got in the race, where he was filling out questionnaires and answering questions about abortion, saying he supports a 100% total ban on abortion, even if that means no exceptions for incest rape or when the life of the mother is at stake. That is his view. And it has come up many, many times on the campaign trail. You know, at first it looked like it was going to be a division within the Republican primary, but many of his Republican primary opponents ended up taking similar stances, maybe not going as far as 100% abortion ban, but taking similar stances for a federal uh, aligned ban. Yeah. And there is, of course, a contradiction in these two concepts. Uh, sending it out to the states and then passing a 15-week federal abortion ban. But they're, listen, contradictory proposals is nothing new in politics. Lindsey Graham is supporting Herschel Walker for Senate. Herschel Walker is going to support anything that Lindsey Graham suggests. <laughs> I can promise you that. Also, the proposal from Lindsey Graham is actually quite far to the left, if you want to call it that, of where Herschel Walker is on abortion. As you said, Greg, Herschel Walker has been very clear. He would like to see a 100% ban on abortion. He's been asked about this on the campaign trail many times. And he said, I'm pro-life and I'm not going to apologize for that. And then he flips it around on Raphael Warnock when we have pushed Herschel Walker to talk about what exceptions could you live with in a law? What would you support? He says, well, why don't you ask Raphael Warnock that? Why don't you ask him why he doesn't want to see any limits at all? So Republicans will flip this issue back around um, because I think we see from polling and have for a very, very long time that most Americans are comfortable with something in the middle, not at all a full abortion ban, but then some kind of limit sort of like at some point during the second trimester. And then again, of course, with some exceptions, but Republicans are really pushing this issue, talking less about their own position on abortion, talking less about the six-week ban that they have passed here in Georgia and saying, well, what do Democrats want to live with? Because Democrats are really reluctant to talk about any limits because they don't want to sort of preclude anything that doctors feel like they might need to do to save a woman's life. And so that's where the position is right now. And Herschel Walker is, a, frankly, a little bit on an island on this particular issue. It's the most conservative position I've ever heard a candidate give here in Georgia. And you don't hear that articulated quite as much as he is. And many Republicans, not just in Georgia, but in other battleground states, steered clear of Lindsey Graham's proposal, either you know just dodging the question entirely or not endorsing it. Governor Kemp was among those who said, hey, I'm not focused on what's happening in Washington. I'm focused on, on our laws in Georgia. And of course, he signed into law a very strict abortion ban that, that bans most abortions as soon as six weeks. Shani B, we have another question. Next, we have a question about congressional races from Mary Catherine in Thomasville. It seems like Georgia, too, is the only competitive congressional race in Georgia. And I follow both Representative Bishop and Chris West on Twitter. And I noticed it seems like Chris has been making his rounds all over Georgia, too, meeting with farmers, business owners, and everyone in between. Uh, do you think he has a real shot at winning? Huge fan of the pod. Thanks for answering my question. 
So I would say that incumbency is really important right now for Sanford Bishop. He is an incredibly powerful member of the House. He chairs the Appropriations Subcommittee for Agriculture, and that means that he's able to send and has sent a lot of money back to Georgia. Now, Chris West is in a newly kind of strong position for Republicans down there in the second district because the GOP leaders in the state changed the boundaries of that to make it more competitive for Republicans. Chris West also won the GOP primary down there and is getting out a whole lot. And he is running, I think, a very strong, aggressive campaign. I think this race is going to come down to what kind of a night is it for Republicans? Um, Right now, Sanford Bishop is favored to win that race. But if this is a huge, huge wave election for Republicans, that is the kind of race that can get kind of swept away. Somebody who, somebody like Sanford Bishop, who is in otherwise strong position right now, could get swept up if it's a gigantic Republican wave. I see this race as kind of more about the next election cycle. I think Chris West, uh, it, whenever Sanford Bishop does decide to retire, he will certainly be Republicans' strongest candidate if there's a, a race to fill the seat of uh, Sanford Bishop when he retires as well. Yeah, this is the most competitive U.S. House race in Georgia. So we're focusing on it, right? We've written a lot of stories about it. We've talked a lot about it. But it's still looked at as Democratic leaning, right? Uh, it, it would take a wave election. And I'll say that national Republicans aren't nearly as optimistic about that seat as they are other competitive seats in other parts of the nation. But we're going to keep an eye on it. And uh, as Patricia noted, Chris West and Jeremy Hunt, who he bested in the Republican primary, could very well return in 2024, especially if Sanford Bishop does decide to call it quits. He's been in office for more than 30 years. So he is the uh, ranking member. He is the most senior member of the Georgia delegation. And one thing that struck out to me was I was at an event not long ago, a Georgia Chamber of Commerce luncheon down in Macon. A lot of bipartisan figures there, a lot of Republican leaders, Democratic leaders. And at the beginning of the event, the pollster, Frank Luntz, kind of made a beeline towards Sanford Bishop and praised him as the most bipartisan figure, one of the most bipartisan figures he's ever worked with. And the entire room gave him a standing ovation, Republicans, Democrats alike. So that just spoke volumes to me about the way he is seen here in Georgia. Shani B, do we have a third question? We do. And this third question is for you, Greg. It's a uh, call from Rob in Dunwoody. Greg Lucien, what's in your truth serum that you keep talking about in all of your Oh, Rob, I think he's referring to sometimes I'll say, you know, if I had a truth serum, if I gave so-and-so a truth serum, they'd say X, Y, Z, right? Um, It's a magical concoction of rainbows and lollipops and my kids' screams that I all mix together. And And brown liquor. And brown (laughs) liquor that I mix together. And if I could, I'd make just people say what we expect them without the spin and without the, uh, the political veneer. Yes. And sometimes we have we, we have lots of sources who do like to say how things really are, but unfortunately, sometimes they'll say them off the record, which is, you know, I get it. I know. The, the one question I don't want when I call somebody is, is this off the record? I'm like, ugh, never mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, that's a whole different debate. But, you know, obviously, we both talk to people off the record all the time, and it's part of yeah. the lifeblood of our, you know, to, to get the, not just like where things are going or how people are feeling, but also to get a real indication of the state of races here in Georgia. So we talk to folks 
I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're like me. I talk to 20, 30 folks a day, even on slow days, right? It's just the way of this business. But yes, many of the conversations are off the record, but also many times when we want to get people to go on the record, they do. There are certain times yes. where we go on background, that's a different category, where we can cite people with knowledge of, of discussions without naming them. We don't do that very often, but we do that when there's sensitive data. When it's we're talking about a jobs deal, when Rivian's coming to Georgia. Um, earlier this week, when we talked about those Donald Trump's plans to potentially come to Georgia in mid-October, that was based on multiple conversations with people who had direct knowledge of those plans, but couldn't go on the record because they would get excommunicated by Donald Trump or uh, or his allies. So, um, you know, that, but... Truth serum would be great because I could get everyone to go on the record and say what I want them to say publicly. Yes, that would make life so much easier. And it's true, off the record conversations really inform what we then go on to report on the record because we people, you know, that truth serum works a lot better when somebody's name is not associated with it, then we'll go uh, double down and talk to the people who need to go on the record. And um, so, but the truth serum would just make life a whole lot easier. So Rob, I'll go deliver it to your house. Um, who is up and who is down? Oh, I love it. I like that one. Patricia, who is your who's down for the week? My who's down is a collection of statewide Democrats who are really having a hard time breaking through in this environment right now. 2022 was supposed to be the year for Democrats. After Democrats won the White House and two Senate seats and Stacey Abrams was on the ballot, that was the green light for really some of the Democratic Party's best and brightest to get themselves on the ballot as well. Um, somebody like State Senator Jen Jordan, State Representative B. Wynn, these are the rising stars of the Democratic Party and it's proving very hard for them right now to break through and start to lead in, you know, about a dozen polls that we've seen so far. It's just a tough, tough year. The economy is a huge drag on just the emotion and the sort of the support here in the state for Democrats. I think also President Joe Biden's performance is not getting great reviews. So it has what was supposed to be a terrific year for Democrats has really ended up being an uphill climb. Um, of course, anything can happen. But right now, it's all, I think they're having a harder time than we expected them to be having right now. Yeah, those down ticket Democrats, uh, Bean Wynn, Jen Jordan, both down uh, double digits to the Republican adversaries, as well as Charlie Bailey down to Burt Jones in the AJC poll. I'd also have to say my who's down, I'll add to that. It's bizarre, because we've written about this anomaly, or at least the contradiction, is Joe Biden. His approval rating still remains basically untouched in the AJC poll since July. It's still at 36, 37% of, of support with a majority of Georgia voters disapproving of his track record. He's weighing down these candidates like an anchor. And we're going to hear more and more from Republicans saying, it's Abrams Biden, it's Warnock Biden. That, that's going to be the strategy. And yet, at the same time, you know, a glimmer of hope in the two issues we polled at the AJC the Inflation Reduction Act, the federal tax and climate bill, as well as Joe Biden's plan to erase some college debt. Both of those proposals were broadly popular. And I interviewed one voter who said, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I don't like the guy, but I do like those big policies. And he does. And that, that same voter liked many of Biden's other policies. 
but it's just there is a stigma now, especially in the conservative crowd, but also in our among independents. You know, Democratic voters are, are who, who are having issues with Biden. They're returning to the fold, but you're still seeing very stubborn resistance from independents and Republicans, and that could that could pay dividends for Republicans in November. Uh, Patricia, who is your who's up? My who's up is Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger on the cover of Time magazine this week and um, almost 20 points ahead in the latest AJC poll. That's consistent with the previous AJC poll that also had him up double digits over B-Win. This is not the place we thought Brad Raffensperger was going to be at this point in the race. We didn't even know if he would be in the race at this point. And he has really forged his way to uh, what looks like re-election. Again, anything could happen, but he is in—he is by far the strongest Republican on that ticket right now. And that is really something to see after the last two years of this man's life. Yes. You, and one of the reasons why he's up by almost 20 points is because he's consolidated. He has a significant number of Republican support, right? We're not seeing the sort of pro-Trump crowd at least show up in the polls. We don't know how that would look in November. We, we don't see that in the polls yet of any sort of significant drop-off of Republican vote. He's about 85% in many of the polls we've seen, high 80s, even some low 90s of support among Republicans. But he's winning a huge share of independents, and he's winning about one-fifth of Democratic voters. And some of this might be you know, holdovers from the primary when a lot of Democrats, thousands of Democrats, cross party lines and vote in the Republican primary to vote against folks like Jody Heiss, who are pro-Trump uh, election deniers. And some of it just might be, you know, folks who recognize his name and know that he, he, you know, was on that the other end of that infamous phone call with Donald Trump, where Trump demanded that he find enough votes to overturn his election. I was going to make Brad Raffensperger my who's up as well. We don't pre-coordinate this, but I'll add um, Senator Warnock. He yep, was the that was only be my bright backup. spot. Yep. Yeah, he was the only bright spot for Democrats in our poll. That poll showed him neck and neck. I mean, within the within the margin of error, so effectively tied with Herschel Walker and several other polls out this week show either him with a slight lead or an effectively a tie. So Patricia, my gut is all these polls tell us one thing, which is we're going to a runoff. And I think that's probably the campaign's guts too. But either way, this Raphael Warnock was the only real bright spot in the AJC poll. And so he gets my who's up for the week. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday and every Friday or whenever news breaks. We will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, oh, oh.